Loser, Chapter 23, Vanished. Graduation day is just that, one day. Then comes the next day, and the next. Zingoff puts away his flute, puts away his backpack, puts away his memories of graduation day, and gets on with the rest of his life. To Zinkoff and to all the kids in this brick and hoagie town, summer is like a great warm shallow lake. Some frolic and splash, some strike out for the distant shore, too far away to see. Some just stand there, digging their toes into the sandy bottom. It is warm and sunny and lazy, and you can leave your feet if you want to. Because in the warm waters of summer, everybody floats. Zinkoff rides his clinker one with a new kid from up the block. They cruise the park. They race down Half Tank Hill. On his bicycle, he is graceful. For most of July, he goes Monopoly crazy. He carries the game with him everywhere, always keeping his favorite piece, the top hat, in his pocket. He sets up games with his parents and with Uncle Stanley and the neighbors and the old mailman lady. When he can't find anyone else, he resorts to Polly, who begs him endlessly to play. It's never long before his properties cover the board and his stack of money practically scrapes the ceiling. But it's no fun. She's so easy to beat. He tries to make it fun by trouncing her so badly that she'll get mad and stomp off, maybe throw a tantrum, which is always entertaining. But she doesn't. She doesn't seem to care or even notice that she's losing. She just loves to roll the dice and loves wherever she lands. He's the one who winds up mad. Then they go away for summer vacation, three days at the beach. They stroll the boardwalk. He shakes hands with Mr. Peanut and eats an ice cream and waffle sandwich and a chocolate-covered frozen banana. While Polly digs holes in the sand, he hunkers in the surf and dares the ocean waves to knock him over. Back home, he pesters his parents to join the swim club, but they say it's too expensive. So he does what a kid has to do. He smells the cedar chest in his parents' bedroom. He dissipates dandelions, seesaws at the park, licks the mixing bowl, rides his bike, counts railroad cars, holds his breath, clucks his tongue, tastes tofu, touches moss, daydreams, looks back, looks ahead, wishes, wonders. And before he knows it, miraculously, the summer is over. Monroe Middle School is scary. It's so big. Four elementary feed into it. There are no swings in the playground. There's no playground, no recess. All day long, he bounces from room to room, teacher to teacher. Every 45 minutes, it's back into the hallways, the cattle drive. Moo! Eighth graders tower over him, knock him off balance, barging through. When he sees a familiar Satterfield face, he beams and waves. One day, the face he sees stops him cold. He calls out, Andrew! It's his neighbor from the old days. Andrew looks but keeps walking. He does not seem to recognize Zinkoff. It's me, Zinkoff, Donald. Andrew nods. Oh yeah, hi. Zinkoff runs to catch up. 
Andrew has really grown since he saw him last. He's five inches taller than Zinkoff. If Zinkoff didn't know better, he'd think he was an eighth grader. It's not only his height, but the way he carries himself. Unlike most of the other slinky, slumpy sixth graders, Andrew gives the impression that he belongs here, that he doesn't have to apologize for having been born. Zinkoff feels a little funny having to look up. Andrew, you got tall. Andrew looks over his head, looks down at him. Yeah, and it's Drew. Zinkoff is confused. Huh? My name's Drew now. Oh, you changed it? Yeah. Zinkoff has never seen Andrew's or Drew's new home out in Heatherwood, but he can picture it with its driveway and tree out front, and Zinkoff nods, for it somehow seems to add up. New house, new name. Cool, he says. They're walking side by side now. Your father's still a banker? Drew looks down at him. Only his eyes come down, not his face. Your father's still a mailman? Zingoff is about to answer when, the, when a bell rings. It's not the one for the next class. It's coming from Drew's backpack. Drew takes out his cell phone and answers it. He's talking away on the phone as he veers off into his next class. Zinkoff sits in class anywhere he wants. He sits front row, smack in the middle. He rushes ahead to, to classes so he can get to the seat first. Every time he sits in the first row, he thinks of Mr. Yalowitz. He misses him. He joins the band, meets flutists from the other grade schools. They compare flutes. He signs up for camera club and video club and model car club and library helpers, but has to drop all except library helpers because they interfere with band practice. He misses a stairway step one day and tumbles heels to ceiling down to the landing. He's on his hands and knees for minutes, picking up pencils, erasers, books, ruler, triangle, multi-template, his lucky pink bubblegum stone, cookie pieces, Monopoly top hat, and other spillage from his back pocket or backpack and pockets. Most students rushing to class zigzag through the disaster. Two eighth graders laughing not noticing, walk straight through, crunching cookies underfoot. Arithmetic, which had become math, now becomes geometry. Squares and rectangles, okay, but then hexagons, pentagons, octagons, gobbledegons. He can't get it. He's bad at shapes. He's transferred back to math. Band is not just band anymore. It's marching band. At first, Zinkoff thinks, great. He pictures himself in a fancy uniform, golden braid, doodads, a plumbed hat high as the old giraffe. But there are no uniforms. You get them in high school. Middle school is for learning the basics. They practice on the parking lot, learning to play and march at the same time. For the first few days, they do a simple straight ahead march. Walking and playing, no sweat, thinks Zinkoff. Then they start on turns. First, a 90-degree turn, 
left, then right, then 45 degree turns, then about face turns. Zinkoff cannot seem to get the hang of it. He's okay with either one. He can march without playing or play without marching. But when he tries to put them together, he marches into parked cars, the bike rack, his fellow marchers. It's like bumper cars at the fair. On his worst day, he runs into the tuba and bloodies his nose and is told to go home. But he doesn't give up and nobody tells him not to come back. There are two outdoor baskets behind the school. When there's time, the kids play pickup games. One of the baskets still has a net hanging from it. The eighth graders get that one. The other goes to the sixth and seventh graders. Zinkoff hangs around hoping to get picked. The pickers are always two big shot athletes. No one elects him. They don't earn it by making foul shots or anything. They simply appoint themselves and no one argues. Gary Hobbin is often a picker. So is Drew Orwell. The pickers stand at the foul line and look over the troops. They take turns picking. You know how good a player is, a player, a kid is, by how early he is picked. When 10 players are picked, the unpicked retreat to the sidelines and wait for the game to end 10 baskets so they can get another chance. Zinkoff loves basketball now. He keeps waiting game after game. The pickers keep picking, usually the same players. Standing there during picking time, Zinkoff tries to look good. He puts on his game face. He scowls. Anybody can see this kid can score. Once, Drew Orwell looks right at him, and he's sure this is it. He can already hear his name. It's forming on Drew's lips. Zinkoff. But the name that comes out is Nedney. And so September comes October, becomes October, and October becomes November and December, and the grass turns to hairbrushes, and the bus riders fog the windows with their breath. The band comes inside, and the pickup players come in, and the football teams. Halloween, Thanksgiving, basketball, tests, assignments, projects, report cards, cheers, groans, waiting for snow. The school in winter and Zinkoff vanishes. Not to himself, of course. To himself, he is very much there. Every minute, laughing, burping, biting his pencil eraser. Like everyone else, he is the star of his own life. He is seen and heard almost every day by the other band members and by his sixth grade friends. But to the great dragonfly's eye of Monroe Middle School, he is unseen. Even the thing that got him noticed at Satterfield, the losing, is gone. All of that is forgotten, left behind like candy wrappers. The clocks here tell nothing but time. Zinkoff is not a loser here. He is less than that. He is a nobody. Long before the first snowfall, he sinks into nobodiness.